0: Well, good morning, friends. How are you this morning? Good to see you. Kate, always good to hear you, girl. Glad you're here. Glad all of you are here this morning as we celebrate Jesus. He's worthy of our praise this morning, isn't he, church? And it's so good to do it together. I just want you to know how much I love you, what a privilege it is to be a part of this family with you. And thank you for welcoming me and my family now three years ago. It's just been a joy to be with you, and I look forward to many, many more years to come. Now... We're in a series called A Time to Build, looking at this momentous occasion in the history of Israel. Where their walls had been broken down in Jerusalem, but by God's power, a group of displaced people rebuild the walls, even facing a lot of opposition. And today we're going to get into some celebration stuff. How many of you like celebration stuff? This is the good stuff, okay? Today we're going to cover... (laughs) I know, some of you are not going to believe me when I say this. We're going to walk through five chapters today. And I promise to have you out by dinner. Okay? So, some of you are going, that's not funny. No, that's not. We'll be out soon. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to buckle up. We're going to dive in and move quickly. Because what I want you to see over the course of the next few chapters are three core things necessary, not for the building, but the sustaining of a city. And by the way, I want to be very clear I'm not talking about the city out there. I'm talking about sustaining the city of your life, of your marriage, of your family. So today is very important, and I hope that you will lean in. And by the way, I just want to be very clear. As we open God's word, let's just do it this way. Everyone raise your right hand. Go ahead, raise your right hand. This is all swim. I'm waiting. Come on. Hands up. Come on. Come on. Uh, give, give me a little pointer finger. Everyone got a pointer finger? This little light. Okay. No, no. Okay. You got your pointer finger? I need you to go ahead to someone near you. Go ahead and give a little poke. Give a little poke. Okay. And here's what I need you to say. Say, this message is for you. All right. It felt good, didn't it? Tell someone else to pay attention. You say, how do I know it's for you? Here's how I know. It's because God's word is for God's people. And it does not matter who the one presenting is. In fact, did you know that God's word is not dependent on the person on the platform? This has nothing to do with the preacher. This is all to do with the scripture. Because our joy, the power of God, is simply in the word of God. It is not in any person. And I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to meet you this morning and engage your soul. Because if you will lean into what we're talking about, friends, it will take what has been perhaps concept and bring it into reality today. And I so desperately want that for you. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. While you're turning there, I had an interesting conversation earlier this week with my dad. About 25 years ago, our family went through a weird, exciting awkward experience. Mom and dad decided to update their home uh, and modernize it. You say, why? Well, see, when they bought the house, it had shag carpet everywhere. It had pew screen walls. It was, let's just put it this way, special. And so they decided they were going to not just do a little paint and renovation, they did the whole thing. They ripped the front of the house off and built out ten more feet. They raised the roof line They added bedrooms. They added office space. In fact, for six months, our family lived in one room together. Talk about a grace-building experience. And the only thing that protected us from the elements was two pieces of plywood that were nailed up at the front where there used to be doors. It was a wild, wild experience. But one of the things that they also did is they built a furnished, built-out basement and, and an office above it. Well, it was a great place. We'd go down there, we'd skate. We'd hang out, we'd have fun. There's a TV down there, so we'd bring our friends over and play. Well, I get a call from my dad earlier this week, and we're talking, and he says, man, I had a rough conversation this morning, Josh. I said, really, what's happening? He goes, well, he goes, you know the basement? I said, yeah. He goes, the walls in the basement, it's a, it's a block wall, the walls are beginning to do this. They're beginning to buckle, to bow. And how many of us know that if they buckle and bow too much, they're going to break? So we had a structural engineer come out, and the guy's looking, saying, oh, man, yeah, we got to fix this, got to do that. I said, well, what are they going to do to fix it? He says, well, it's the coolest thing. What they're really going to do is they're going to, they're going to like burrow holes into the block wall, and they're going to pump into those holes concrete. They're also going to somehow put rebar into the blocks. And I said, well, that's so cool. He goes, yeah, and it's called core filling. It looks something like this if you do it right the first time. See, they didn't do this the first time when the house was built. How many of us know that you can have something look really, really good on the short term, but over the long haul, cracks begin to show? And it all depends on what you filled your core with, whether or not you bow, bend, or break. I got a question for you this morning, and this is the one we're going to just kind of dwell on as we look at these five chapters, and it's this question. What is at the core of your life, friend? When you think about what you're building and what you're doing, what is ultimately inside? Because the strength of what's inside will determine the stability against the pressure from the outside. See, over the course of these past chapters, Israel has come into this place where by chapter 8, they are a successful city. You say successful, what does that mean? Let me tell you what this successful city looks like and see if this sounds like the kind of city you might like to live in. Because I'm telling you, it's the kind of city I'd want to live in. So successful... By this point, they have physical safety because in chapter 6, verse 15, they have finished the wall. It only took them 52 days. They now have security for their people and their families. They finish it around the time of year as right now, sometime late August, early September. Not only are they physically safe, but they have a growing community. There's a population boom. In chapter 7, many of the Israelites are moving back home. They're celebrating being able to be in the capital of their people. Not only that, but they have economic prosperity. In chapter 7, verse 70 to 72, they begin to collect funds. And over the course of this time, they collect somewhere in the neighborhood of roughly $100 million. The city is booming in so many ways. In addition to that, they have equal justice. Chapter 5, some people were being oppressed. Children sold into slavery. Horrific stuff happening. And Nehemiah and some of the other righteous leaders put an end to it. And then to ensure that justice continued to go in chapter 7, verse 2, Nehemiah appoints a godly leader, his brother, Hanani. He's the one, you'll recall, in chapter 1, who brought word to Nehemiah about Jerusalem's city uh, situation. And so this is the kind of place, this is a successful city. In fact, when you're looking for a new place to move, if you're looking for a new job, isn't it true we're looking for a city that's safe and one that has a growing population because that's often an indicator of health. We also look for one that has economic opportunities, prosperity, don't we? We want to see a place where the justice system works, where you don't have cronyism and you don't have certain backhand deals going on. You want to know that everyone is able to get justice, right? And you want to have good leaders. By the way, the leader, he was known for a man of integrity, which means he was the same in public as in private. And he was one who feared the Lord more than most. Isn't this the kind of city that you would want to be a part of? I mean, this is the one I would. What about you? I See, I love this, but here's what we see in chapter 8. They realize that this is not enough for the city to stand. Before, centuries earlier, The city had all this. Under the rule of King David, they had security, they had a community, they had a growing economy, they had great leadership, they had equal justice, and then even more so under David's son, Solomon. And yet, hear me now, this is not enough to keep the walls that are built from falling down. Because they had all this and they lost it, didn't they? That's why they had to rebuild. So, if you want sort of a key idea from the text this morning, here it is. Whatever fills the core of your life will determine the strength of your life. Whatever fills the core of your life will determine the strength of your life. And we can have all the externals that the world says mark success. We can have a wonderful marriage. We can have great jobs. We can have influence with others. But if you do not have the right core, then over time your little pressure from outside will begin to press in and you will crumple under what is going on around you. I've told you before, I'll tell you again. A friend of mine who's a missionary was talking to a godly African man years ago. And the African man said to my friend, he said, you know the difference between us and you American Christians. And he was not trying to be ugly. He just was pointing out a fact. And my friend said, yeah, what's the difference? He said, well, here's the difference. When life is hard, you pray to God that he will lift the burden off your back. When life's hard for us, we ask God to strengthen our backs under the burden. Friend, what is at the core of your life will determine the strength of your life. And I want to show you as briefly as I can through these five chapters, three things at the core of what they said. We will be about these three things. And these three things marked them as a community, not just in building a great city, but building the city of each of their lives. So let's walk through these very briefly here. Number one, the three core essentials every community needs. Number one is to love God's word. You say, of course, Josh, this is obvious. Can we move on? No, 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 friend, if this were obvious, we would all do it, wouldn't we? And when I say love God's word, I don't just mean love this in some abstract sense. Like, oh, I love the Bible. I pat the Bible. I have ten Bibles at home. By the way, my wife once decided to do a little inventory. She saw that for our kids alone, we had over ten children's Bibles. And you could say, oh, I love the Bible. I have them everywhere. I have a pillow with Bible verses embroidered on it. I have a coffee cup with that wonderful verse. Which one? I don't know, but it's on there. We love the Bible. Understand me, being around the Bible is not the same thing as being in the Bible and letting the Bible get into you. They love the scriptures. In chapter 8, the people gather specifically to hear the word of God preached and taught. This is not to say you come here to listen to me. Rather, they listened because they wanted to hear from God. And so they asked this man named Ezra. Ezra, if you read, he is sort of the a complimentary figure to Nehemiah. He was the spiritual leader who was helping some of the spiritual revival in the city. And from dawn, meaning when the sun comes up until noon, the people gathered together to hear the word of God preached. By the way, from sun up till noon, depending on the time of year, is what? Six hours? Can you imagine how great it would be to be able to listen to someone preach at you for six hours? hours. let's move on. But I want you to see what happens when they hear the word of God and the word of God gets into them in verse five and six. I want you to see some of the stuff as he, Ezra, opened the scriptures. By the way, every time it's referenced, it's called the law of God. I'll tell you why in a moment. All the people stood up Ezra then praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands. Are you starting to see some interactive elements here? How people are responding. And they responded with amen and amen. The word amen means let it be. You're agreeing when you say amen. And they bowed down with their faces to the ground. Now friends, I want you to notice. This worship experience was very emotive. This, friends does not look like most southern white churches, does it? When was the last time you saw us, when we came in, we go, Yay, God! Amen! Amen! When was the last time you saw a brother fall down in front of you because he was in worship to God? Hear me, if that happened here, someone would be calling for the defibrillator. He's dropped! But when they gathered the word of God, so stirred them inside... It had to come out of them. Isn't it interesting? What you do outside often shows what's happening inside, doesn't it? Went to and I've told you this recently because it was a lot of fun. We went to a lookouts game with some friends here at the church. And by the way, I don't even care about sports, but we went. We had a great time. By the way, just show of hands: How many of you like sports? Anyone in here? How many of you love sports? Like it just you cut and like your team cheers, Yay! right? Anyone here? So when I think about this, think about this. When you go to a game, we went to this game. I don't even care, but they scored eight runs in one inning. Do you think we sat dispassionately like, yay? No, we were on our feet because it was exciting. When something stirs you inside, it will spill out of you. Friends, some of us need to inform our faces of the joy inside of our hearts. Because God's word says God is good, you say, okay, tell me more. I know that's what you're thinking, right? Sure. So let's talk some more about this. Let me show you what happens. The Levites, now the Levites were the priests. They were the ones who instructed people in the law. They explained what God's word and will was. As Ezra is teaching the Levites are going around and they are instructing different small groups of people. They're explaining it in a way that every group understands it in the way they need to. Do you understand that our church is built up of numerous smaller groups? We have little biddies right now who are receiving age-appropriate instruction in the scriptures, aren't they? How many of us are grateful that they are? Well, okay, one person is. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate it. But we are instructed in the word of God at different levels and different ages. Church, I want to show you just real quick. This is a side note, but I need you to see this. We are committed to sharing the word of God in ways that everyone can understand it. This is why, as a church, I'm so excited about some of the things we're doing. This is why we have these things called discipleship electives. I want you to see this. Go to the next slide. Here we go. So we've been doing this uh, for a couple months now. And we're going to continue rolling new ones out. But these are specific trainings to help you step into discipleship. You say, wait, I thought it was helping us understand the word of God. Yeah, yeah. The Word of God wants us to not simply be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word as well, right? So it's our job then to help one another learn how to do this. And so starting not this week, but next week, we're going to have a missional community workshop. It's going to be interactive, it's going to be fun, and it's going to equip you to know how to live on purpose the way God has designed you to and we're going to have all sorts of others throughout the rest of this year because, like the Levites, we all have been called to help and train one another. In fact, the Levites were the priests. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, write this down. 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter says that you, if you're in Christ, you are a priest. It's not the job of the few, but it's the job of all to teach and train one another. Amen. And so we're doing this with the adults, now with the kids. Now, we're doing a lot of stuff with the youth ministry as well, but I want to give you two things that are going on with our, with our kids' ministries because I think it's so exciting. And I want you to know what you're a part of. For our kids, we know that we've got to be specific and help them understand what God wills and who God is at this age so that they'll carry him with them throughout their lives. And so right now, this morning, they had wonderful classes to learn and to grow. During the weekdays, we've got some things coming up in the fall. I'm going to show you in just a second. They're so good, going to be so fun. You want your kids to be a part of this. We also, when we have the disciple training for the adults, we're going to have training for your children specifically offer various levels of Bible instruction while you're being discipled. So we want your kids to know Jesus as well. And the parents, we're going to help you know Jesus And share Jesus with your kids. In other words, so the Levites of our church go throughout the church to help encourage and strengthen. Let me tell you two things that are coming up this fall. Parents, jot this down. You want to be a part of this. You want your kids to. In the September-October months, sort of overlapping those two, we're going to have a fun workshop for our elementary age kids about writing God's story. Looking at the genres And the different styles of writing in scripture as they then begin to practice writing and expressing the stories God is giving them. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then October, November, we're going to have an art workshop looking at the art of our God and how he is the artist God. Everything you see, taste, touch, feel that is artistic came from the hand of God. And we want our kids to understand that from scripture. And then they're going to experience various artistic expressions throughout the time. In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is we believe it's important that the Levites go throughout the church, that you as a priest in the holy nation of God, and we all will work together to help each other understand. Now, this is what's happening. Something interesting, though, we're told, this little phrase, do not grieve. The Levites called all the people saying, be still, for this is a holy day, but do not grieve. Why are they grieving? See, something happens when you hear the word of God, church. If you really understand what it says, it will stir you in your core, won't it? The Word of God teaches us basically three things. It teaches us who God really is, who we really are, and how he designed the universe. God made us in his image. Most of us want to make God in our image. I can't believe in a God who would require this. I can't believe in a God who would do that. I don't think he would ever say that really. And I I know it's in here, but I don't think that's who God really is. Friends, we want to make God in our image, but Scripture shows us the blessed truth of who God really is. And then the Word of God teaches us who you really are, that you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are the image bearer of God himself. And every person you have ever met, whether they live like it or not, is made in the image of God. Of God, which means it teaches us how to view and treat one another. And then he shows us how he designed the universe to work, that there are certain things that just work a certain way. Interesting little phrase earlier in the verses. They read from the law of God. The law of God, the law. See, law, when we hear the word law, lots of times we think of it as an oppressive system, right? Uh, just a quick show of hands. How many of you have ever seen one of these signs that say speed? Limit? Any of you ever seen one of those? <clears throat> How many of you kind of think of them more as like a speed suggestion? <laughs> Come on, let, let's not lie in church. <laughs> we all know it. Now now here's what often happens when we hear about a law, we often think of that law as a limiter, something to take away what will really give us joy or happiness, right? It's a limitation. See, that's one way to view it, but here's the way that Scripture describes it. It's not that God is limiting you from doing something you want. Rather, there's another way to understand the word law, and we talk about it when we talk about like the laws of nature or the law of gravity. It's not something that is created to keep you down literally in the sense of, oh, no, I can't do what I want to do. Rather, it is simply the way God made it. There are certain laws, the way God has orchestrated the universe, that if you will operate as he has designed it, you will enjoy the flourishing of life because you're following the way he designed the world to be. For instance, you don't put Cairo syrup in your car for gasoline, do you? I mean, you can, but what would happen See, you say, well, yeah, yeah, is that a law? No, someone hasn't written it down like you can't, but it's saying this is how the car works, and if you don't use it the way it's intended, it is just like the law of gravity. There is a natural consequence to not following the way God created things. So men, when God says to you, love your wives as Christ loves the church, that is a law of God, not intended to harm you, but to say, this is how he made it. And if you will obey it, then world works right. But if you don't, things fall apart, don't they? Ladies, this is why the word of God says you are to submit to your husbands, as the church does to Christ. And I know we chafe against that. Let me be clear. Submission is not you become a doormat. But there's a way that God is saying you come under his spiritual leading. Because this is the way God designed it. And it just Works. Kids, we honor our parents. Now, listen, don't hear me wrong. Respect and honor are two different things. Respect is earned, honor is freely given. Scripture says we honor our parents even if they are not respectful or respectable because God has designed the world to work a certain way. There's a law at work. This is why David says he would lay on his bed at night and just ponder. The word and the law of God. He loved it. This is why little children, when they would be trained how to study scripture in the the Jewish communities, the rabbi would give them their tablet and he would pour honey over the tablet and he would tell the children to lick the honey off of the tablet and he would say the word of God is as sweet as honey. Because the law of God teaches us how things really work. If we did not have it, how many of us would continually step off the bridge of life only to find that we keep breaking ourselves? See, you don't break God's law. When you fall off of where he's called you, the law actually breaks you. And so this is why they begin to grieve, because they recognize they've not lived as God has called them, and so they start to mourn. Have you ever been to the place where the truth of God's word has so broken your heart that you mourn? Have you ever been in a situation maybe where you've just seen mourning? I remember... The day my grandfather passed away, I was, I think, five years old. I was the first one to find him after he passed away. I was the last one to see him alive. I was coming down to play with some cousins. He was out at the grill getting things ready for a big party. And I said, hey, Grandpa, how are you? He goes, I'm good, Josh. I said, I love you. He goes, I love you too. I said, I'll see you in a minute. He goes, okay. I go down to play. Fifteen minutes later, I come back up, and he's laying next to the grill. He'd had a heart attack. And the whole family, for the rest of the day, there was just this grief, this pall over everything. Have you ever experienced something that broke your heart so much that you grieved because of the sin in your life or the sin in someone else's life? This is what happens when we get the Word of God rightly. But He says, don't grieve, don't grieve. This is a day of celebration. Because, see, the Word of God may show us what's wrong, but if you read far enough, the Word of God will say, but there's a man named Jesus who is God who came and took away everything that's wrong. And so it brings joy and gladness from this is the first thing, if you want your life to stand, no matter the pressure around you, at the core must be a love of God's word. A love for the truth. Number two, these are going to go fast here. The number two is simply this. Open repentance and confession. See, it's not simply that we love God's word, but it moves us to repentance and confession what does this mean? Well, in chapters 9 and 10, you see this played out. In chapter 9, the people gather together on the 24th day of the same month. And when they gather, they are fasting, wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. This was a sign of great mourning and sadness. It was a sign of we've done something wrong. And then they do this. They stood in their places. And I, this is wild. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Coming to church on a Sunday, seeing everyone wearing sackcloth and ashes, Everyone's standing there. And for the rest of the time we're gathered just confessing their sins. First off, would that feel a little weird to anyone else? Yeah. Would it just feel weird to hear any Christian confess their sin instead of hide it? Yeah. Should it be that way though, church? I want to say something to you. The church should be the safest place to tell others what's wrong. Because if you know the gospel well, you know that we're all broken knowing us to stand up higher than the rest... And we all are saved on the merit of Christ, not on our own merits. And so they confess their sins. As a friend of mine said, he said, Josh, you know if in the church, if just for one moment, like a big sin, that each of us struggles with, whatever it is, whatever your issue is, maybe different from mine, but I got my own. If we all, for one moment, saw the sin that each person really struggles with, my friend said, you know the only thing that would shock us is how similar we all are. So they confessed. They confessed. They were brokenhearted for their sin. Confession is essential to change. Confession, the truth. Lies do not fix anything. Lie upon lie simply breaks the walls further. They confessed their sins. And the rest of the people, notice this, the rest of their people in chapter 10, join their fellow Israelites and the nobles. And notice this, and they bind themselves, get this, after they have confessed, they bind themselves to follow the law of God. There's that word again, the law of God. What are they doing? They have confessed, but now they're repenting. You say, wait, what? Repentance is not simply thinking differently. It is committing to do differently as well. Hear me now. If you simply feel bad for something, but you are not doing differently, that is not repentance. Repentance. Repentance is saying, I confess to you, God, for when I confess, you will heal and forgive. And now my life is going to go in a different direction. Will I fail again? Absolutely. But then I continue down the path God has called me. At the core of who we are, the strength of the community of faith is built on loving God's word and confessing our sins. One to another, James 5.16 says this. He says, when you've confessed to each other, you'll be healed. Healing, what a great gift from God. And then, and then as you confess, as you repent, there's a third thing. Are you ready for the best one? Are you ready for the third and best one church? No one's ready for the good and best one. Let's do it. Thank you, Keith. Here we go. It's ongoing celebration at the core of of your life, at the core of everything that you are. Did you know that you are a worshiper at the core of who you are? We all are. We worship something, don't we? We'll worship A relationship, we'll worship sports, we'll worship money or a job or influence, we'll worship all sorts of things. Every one of us is hardwired to be a worshiper because God wired us ultimately to worship Him, and our problem is we have exchanged worship of God for worship of something else. So I want you to see the third and final thing. I love this one. Chapter 12 gives it to us that. They focus on loving God's word, open repentance and confession, and ongoing celebration. There's this great moment. They gather together later in the month. And Nehemiah assigns two large choirs to give thanks to God. They've finished building. Everything's done. It's now the yay God moment. By the way, Sundays are our yay God moment for all that he has done throughout the week in your life. Yes, we come in to be encouraged, but it's also to say yay God. And so two large courses. To give thanks. One was to proceed on the top of the wall. Now pay attention, this is huge. To the right, towards the dungeon gate. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them, again, on top of the wall. What's going on here? What's going on here? Let me show you. This is the map we've been using, right? This is the city of Jerusalem. And what he's saying is one group begins to proceed down this way. And they begin to come up to the fountain gate and then to the water gate. And while they're going this direction, another group is going on top of the wall in the opposite direction. And they begin to circle the city with praise. The city of their life, the city of their family, the city of their street, the city of their school, the city of their workplace. The city is literally engulfed in ongoing praise and celebration. This is what's happening. And they're singing And they're dancing, and they're jumping up and down on the wall of the city that they built. And you say, wow, isn't that cool? Yeah, but why are they doing it? Why are they making such a big racket? Why are they doing doing it on top of the wall? Do you remember in chapter 4, we talked about this last week. There are a couple guys who are critical about what they're doing. You remember this? And one of them, a guy by the name of Tobias, says this. What they're building... Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. (laughs) So what's going on? The people of Israel are jumping them down saying, it's not breaking. They're praising God. They're saying, you thought a fox was too heavy. You need to understand that because of what God can do, He gives strength to things that, humanly speaking, are impossible God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, Paul will say. And so this is a declaration that God is the God who finishes what he starts. It is an act of celebration, not just in praise, but where they are doing the praise. Some of us, some of us need to practice praise in God more. When was the last time you celebrated the goodness of God? Maybe in private, that'd be fine. In fact, I'd encourage you, here, here, here's how to do it. My CFC friends, if you grew up in the Church of Christ, just, just hang with me. If you don't, just, just, just wait a second, okay. CFC friends, here's the way we begin, okay? Because this kind of freaks us out, the idea of dancing, doesn't it? Anyone? No? Okay. You didn't grow up in the same place I did, evidently. I won't even make the joke I made the other night in a class. But here's the thing, here's the, here's the way to begin. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you want to practice ongoing celebration, begin small, okay? Like, don't use your whole body. Maybe, maybe just... In your home, turn off the light. Don't Just don't even look. Just, just kind of start here. Oh, okay. Okay, and once you get good with one hand, go ahead and put the other one up. Or if you need to do a little, we won't call it dancing. If you just need to choreograph your praise to God, maybe, you know, th- this little number, you can do that if you need to. But here's my point. I'm being silly, but don't miss the point. We must practice ongoing celebration Because our God is worthy of it and it reminds us in the valley what he did for us in the peak of life as well. Amen? Some of you are saying there's nothing to dance about right now. My life is just a place of mourning. Friend, respectfully, I disagree. And here's why. Have you been saved from your sins? If the answer is yes, you have something to praise God for through eternity. And some of us just have to get better at declaring the good gifts of God. We need to begin to speak The truth of God. And here's what you say. You need to begin to speak against what is wrong and speak what is true. You need to speak and say, devil, you cannot steal my salvation. It was bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. It was his to give. Therefore, you cannot take it. It's not yours. Devil, you cannot take my joy. Again, Christ gave it. You don't have authority over it. Devil... I was bought and paid for. I'm a child of God. I am an inheritor in the kingdom of heaven. God is good and God is my father. You cannot have that. Some of us need to practice praise in other ways. We need to say things such as, Satan, you may bark, but you can't bite because on the cross, Jesus broke out your teeth. Although you may harm me in this world, my eternity is secure in the hand of God the Father. Some of us need to begin to practice the praise of those minor victories. Those moments where relationships just take a step in the right direction. Where you say, hey God, thank you. Where the child listens. Where the spouse returns. Where the conversation is had. See, this is the core that you have to build your life upon. For when pressure comes, this this is where the people of God stand. So my question again, my question, very simple. Go on to two more here. Whatever you build your life, whatever that core is, will determine the strength of your life. So I just want to invite you for a moment, evaluate your life. What is it that you're building it on? Is it the success of your business? By the way, is success in business a bad thing, church? No. No. But is it enough to sustain you when life is hard? Are you building your life on having the right spouse, trying to find an upgrade somewhere? Or are you building it on the fact that God will give you everything you need in every moment you are finding yourselves? Whatever you build your life on, the core of that will determine the strength of your life. May God's presence be at the center of our lives. Amen?